Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. The scripture for today's teaching is Mark 6, 14 through 29. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had been become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he's Elijah. And others said, he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John. Knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on the platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of God to us. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Natalie. Good morning. morning. Good to see you all. If you don't know me, my name is Sean, and I get to serve as one of our pastors here at South. And uh, I just want to say, if you just heard Natalie read that story, and right now you're thinking to yourself, how is it possible that anyone can actually preach a sermon on that text? I just want to say you're exactly where I was about five days ago. That is exactly how I felt. Uh, Before Andrew left for his sabbatical uh, that he's on, we just kind of divvied up the the preaching rotation and and gave out the assignments, and each guy got a few different things to preach. And I didn't look that closely at the things that I had been given. And now I'm realizing, like, I think I lost some kind of lottery. How does the same guy get blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and the beheading of John the Baptist. Like, this is the book of Mark. There's a lot of great things to preach. Uh, no, but I'm excited, actually. Um, as, I, as I just contemplated where to go with this this morning, I just went back and went, okay, where are we in the story? So if you think back to week one of the series, we were given two things. We were given an introduction to who John is, and also 
we were given a clear statement about what the book of Mark is. So I just want to read it to you. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what this book is. We've been given the good news of the gospel of Jesus. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You remember John? He was like the main character before the main character. And John, he's imprisoned all the way back in chapter 1, and we don't really hear anything about him again until now. This is so strange. This is such a weird story. Like the, the gospel is moving forward. The kingdom is moving forward. Big things are happening. Jesus is healing. Jesus is casting out demons. Jesus is going from town to town, proclaiming forgiveness to people. And right in the middle, all of a sudden, we come to a hard stop. In the middle of the story of Jesus, we have a pause that includes politicians and prophets and crazy wives too much booze, a striptease, and murder. That's what we're dealing with today. So welcome to church. We're glad you're here. Around uh, five years ago, probably five years ago, I was still watching the show The Walking Dead. Now, I know probably nobody is still watching that show because it just got bad. It got terrible. But five years ago, I was really into it. And, uh, and, I, and I loved the way that they would build the story. But what they started to do was the story would build, and it would speed up, and then it would slow down. It would speed up, and then it would slow down. And uh, what they started to do was crazy things, like they would do an entire episode. Like, I'd be in a place where it would be like a cliffhanger ending, man, I'm ready for the next episode, but you have to wait a whole week, because you can't just, you know, it's not Netflix. You wait a whole week, and then the new episode is like some weird backstory on some character that I didn't even know existed in the show, you know? And I'm like, hey... I want to watch Rick Grimes lead these people and kill zombies. I'm not here for like some weird rabbit trail story of some guy that's going to die in two episodes. And you know what I'm talking about because you watch shows too. And they do that kind of stuff. And Hollywood does it because they have like, you know, contractual obligations for how many episodes that they've got to deliver to the network. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't have that. The Gospel of John actually says there's a whole lot more that could be written in this book, but we're only given the things that we really need to know. So why do we have a story like this today? 2 Timothy says all Scripture, this is something I wrestled with all week, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We believe that. We really believe it. Every word of God is given to us for a reason. And so we don't just get to skip today. I really did earlier this week, man. I was just like, I wonder if we could skip it. I wonder if we could just move on and get to the other great parts of Jesus doing miracles and healing people and doing all the amazing stuff that he's been doing. But as I dug into this, what happened is the word of God did what it promises to do. It started to come alive to me. I started to see new things. And it started to convict me, and it started to shape me and grow me, and it started to give me hope in new ways. So I want to share some of that with you today. I think this whole passage, the whole thing that we just read, as crazy as the story is, I think 
It's all about discipleship to Jesus. I want to show you three things that I believe, if we don't just skip this, will actually help us to move forward as a church in the book of Mark from one of the strangest stories in the whole Bible. Man, I have just loved getting to sit in this text with you guys, to sit in the book of Mark. It seems like every week, one of our pastors, somebody is hearing, somebody on the team will hear another thing, or somebody will call or they'll email and they'll go, hey, it just seems like the word of God is speaking directly to me through the book of Mark. I know a lot of you have felt that, and I love to see it, and I love to hear that, and I think there's more for us today. So here's what I want, want you to see. Three things, three observations. One, I want us to look at the question of discipleship. The whole book, the whole gospel of Mark is asking one question, who is Jesus really? The crowds are starting to gather, aren't they? Like people are starting to talk. Were demons really cast out? I don't know. Like, it seems like there's a story of a healing over here, and I'm just not sure about it. Um, man, I don't know. I heard, I heard that there was a little girl, like 12, 13 years old, and she, like, her parents really thought she was dead. And then Jesus showed up, and all of a sudden, the girl was walking around. I don't know what to do with that. And people are like, you know those hurricanes that get stirred up in the Sea of Galilee? Man, I heard that he just stopped one in an instant. I don't know what to do with that. People are talking the stories of what Jesus has been doing and the things that he's been saying, they've made it to the top. They made it all the way to Herod. And now he's starting to ask the question, who is Jesus really? Their whole culture was asking it. The fame had started to spread. The things that he was happening, people were hearing about. And some said, I think this is Elijah, the great Old Testament prophet. And some said, no, I don't think it's Elijah, but I think it's another prophet like one of the great prophets of old. And uh, some say he's John the Baptist. And everyone said so, had something to say about who Jesus was and why he was doing all the things that he was doing. And the whole book, the whole gospel of Mark is moving us to a moment that's going to happen in a couple of chapters where Jesus is going to talk to his disciples and he's just going to go, hey guys, we've seen a lot together. What are you hearing? What is everybody saying? Who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? Their culture, but also our culture, we're asking these questions. This guy, Herod, he's a guy who's interested, but he's not changed. Did you, did you notice in the story that it says that Herod actually gladly heard the things that John had to say? He was eager to hear these things. Like they were kind of weird to him, but he wanted to hear more of what John had to say about the kingdom of God. He's interested, but he's not changed. And many in our culture, I would say, are interested, but we're not changed. Many in our city, many of the people that you work with, many of the people that you go to school with, people that come in and out the doors of this church are interested in the things of God. They're interested to hear the name Jesus, but they're not changed. There are people that are here with us regularly or people that you know, that they know the name of Jesus and they, they even think that they believe in Jesus because they believe that he was a real guy. They believe that he was a good guy. But listen, believing in Jesus and trusting in Jesus are really different things. They're two really different things. And, uh, and Jesus today is inviting people to not just believe in him, but to trust in him. One is being interested and one is about laying your whole life on the line. And most people that say they know Jesus aren't really ready for that. So you guys know Pastor Will, our worship pastor. He's been, uh, he's been trying to get me to 
buy a road bike and go cycling with him and like get into this whole thing. And mostly I've resisted up to now because I just really want to keep making fun of him for doing it, you know? So like I got to wrestle with that in my heart. Like if I'm going to do this, then I got I to lay this thing down because I, I really like giving Will a hard time. But we were laughing about it this week and uh, he took, we went to lunch and he was showing me, he keeps sending me all these, hey, here, check this out on Facebook Marketplace. Here's a bike. I think it'd be great for you. And we went to lunch and we were looking at some of them and we were just laughing about how weird the whole experience of Facebook Marketplace is. Because if you're trying to buy something, like you send a message and you send another message, you never hear anything back half the time because these people that are selling stuff, they've got like 30 other people that are hitting them up, you know? But if you try to sell something, it's an even stranger experience because you put something up there and you go, hey, this is what I think it's worth. This is what I like to sell it for. And people immediately come back with the question, what's the least you'll take, right? Everybody asks, what's the least you'll take? Hey, can I just say, this is the question people are asking of Jesus in our culture. What's the least you'll take, Jesus? What's the most amount of me that I can hold on to and the least amount that I have to give to you to still be considered a, a Christian? What's the least that it will cost me? How much of myself can I hold on to? This is the question that people are asking. And some are willing to really engage the question, who is Jesus? And some just really aren't. And John, the Baptist, in this story, he had something to say about who Jesus is too. He's the guy that he was talking to his disciples. He was talking to people. The crowd is kind of gathering and he sees Jesus from a distance he goes, hold on, everything that I have to say can wait. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he pointed everybody, look at Jesus. John got it right and it cost him. It cost him. And the second thing that I want us to see today is that not only is there a question of discipleship that needs to be wrestled with, there's a cost of discipleship, isn't there? There's a cost. I believe that there's a reason that Mark waits until now to break this part of the story to us. There's a literary tool that, uh, that scholars and theologians talk about when they, they talk about the writing of Mark. They call it a Markin sandwich. And that's basically to say a lot of times in the gospel of Mark, he does this thing where he's writing a story and he pauses and he suspends the story and he tells us about something else. And then he comes back and he finishes with the last part of the sandwich. And he's doing that here, I believe. Think back to where we were last week. You remember Chad was with us and we see Jesus sends out the 12 disciples, the regular people, they're full of fears, they're full of doubts. And, uh, and Jesus just tells them, hey, go out and I want you to heal the sick. And I want you to find those that are demon possessed and cast out the demons. And they come back to Jesus. They're like, we had no idea if it was going to work or not, but it did. It worked. And they're all like, this is amazing. And it was a pretty encouraging story, right? Think back to the other side of that, though. The beginning of, uh, of chapter 6, Jesus says something to him that I, I think can be lost if we're not careful. He says, hey, there's going to be pushback. There's going to be times where you feel resistance. There's going to be times where it seems like the kingdom of heaven is advancing and the message is advancing, but it's not without resistance. And he says, hey, they did it to me. You just better rest assured they're going to do it to you too. Some days it's going to get ugly. Some days you're going to wonder why or if any of this is true or worth it. This is what Jesus says to him. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, I just want to 
point you to this for just a second. We're not going to go there, but in Hebrews chapter 11, it's this whole chapter that we call the hall of fame of our faith. It's all these stories of all these people in the Old Testament that did amazing things, amazing feats of faith for God. And, uh, and it says that all of them died without seeing the promise. So they're doing all these things and they're just believing by faith that God's got them somehow, somewhere or another. God's got a way of working things out and they all died without getting to see the promise. And then it says this amazing, shocking thing. It says some of those people shut the mouths of lions and some were cut in two. Some days as a disciple of Jesus, you shut the mouth of, of a lion and some days you get your head cut off. That's shocking. I don't think everybody's ready to hear that. Some of the disciples, man, they see some amazing miracles happen, but not all of them. It's like right in the middle of the story, right in the middle of the sandwich. Mark goes, hey, but before you think it's all sunshine and roses, I just want to remind you of another guy. You remember there's another disciple. His name is John. He's actually the first disciple. He's the cousin of Jesus, the forerunner to the Christ. He's the one that came and said, hey, in the wilderness... In the broken places, in the dark places, make way for the kingdom of heaven. Here it comes. Something different happened to him. And it's like if, if you or I were designing the economy of, of the kingdom of heaven, we'd all go, that guy deserves a medal. Like that guy was doing it. This guy was the real deal. Let's get him like a cozy retirement home to settle down in. And that's not what happens. In Matthew chapter 11, there's this shocking interaction that I want to share with you. Shocking interaction between Jesus and John the Baptist. What happens is John is in prison and he sends, read it with me, verse 2 in, in Matthew 11. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of, of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them this way. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up and the poor have the good news preached to them. Verse 6. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What does that mean? Well, all of this. Everything that Jesus just said to send back to John is quoting Isaiah 61. And it's this amazing prophecy about what would happen when the Messiah shows up and he says everything that is listed in Isaiah 61 except one thing. You know what it is? All these great things are going to happen, but also the captive is set free. He leaves that part off. And it's like he's saying to John, hey, yeah, I am the one, I am the Messiah. But following me is going to cost you something. And blessed is the one who's not offended by that bad news. Hey, not, not all of us are going to be asked to die for our faith. Probably, probably most of us, or, or maybe none of us will. But dying for this faith is actually not that far off from us. What a reminder that we have this week. It's still happening every single day. Hey, the church in Afghanistan, they're reading this text very differently than we're reading it today. The church in Syria, the church in Egypt, they're reading this text very differently than you and I are reading it today. We're so disconnected from our siblings, our brothers and our sisters 
that are around the world enduring real persecution. It's still really happening. You and I, we're going we're gonna to go to lunch after worship today. Some are going to be killed for their faith. We should allow this to trouble us greatly, and it should drive us to cry out to God our Father for our brothers and our sisters, our siblings in Jesus. I'm not cost us our life, but discipleship to Jesus will cost us all something. There's this moment in the life of Jesus when he goes to Peter and he says to him, you remember the story? He says to him three times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, Lord, I love, yes, I love you. And he says to him again, but do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Okay, Peter, I'm just going to ask you one more time. Do you really love me? Yes, Jesus, you know I love you. Why do you keep asking? And he goes, okay, if you love me, I've got to tell you something. There was a time when you were younger, when you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted to go, right? And he says to Peter, there's coming a day when you're older where someone is going to come to you and they're going to dress you in a way that you don't want to be dressed and they're going to take you to a place that you don't want to go. And he's saying to Peter, and it says explicitly in the text, he told Peter this because he wanted him to know the way that he was going to die. So Peter hears this, and he's like, okay, this is not the conversation I thought we were going to have. And he goes, what about this disciple? Well, what about that disciple? And Jesus goes, hey, don't worry about them, because the cost of discipleship for them is going to be something different than what I call you to. The cost that it's going to cost you is different than what it's going to cost them. It might cost them more. It might cost you more. And I just don't think that this is only for people in the first century or Afghanistan today to consider. Following Jesus will cost something to everyone. I just don't think that we consider that as deeply as we really should. It will cost us all something. There are a thousand ways that I could talk you through but just think, just consider this with me. Some in our church are right now in what they feel to be a lackluster marriage and the temptation is crouching at their door to try to convince them to give themselves to another person that is not their spouse. And what they have to decide is if following Jesus and remaining faithful to him is worth it or if they're going to give in to their own desires. They have to count the cost. We have single people in our church that feel the pain and loneliness of same-sex attraction every single day they feel it. And yet, what they've had to consider is, is following Jesus against my own desires worth it? And what they've said to their community group is, hey, you know what, I'm just in a place where this might feel hard, but for the rest of my life I might be single. Or Jesus might change my desires. I don't know, but either way, I'm following him. Because where else am I going to go? He alone has the words of life. That's the cost of discipleship. There are people in our church that could make a whole lot more money if they would only for a little bit bend on sin and righteousness and what it means to live a life of integrity to the glory of God. They could make more money. But they're going to have to decide, is following Jesus and remaining faithful and obeying him, is it worth it? There's a cost to following Jesus. And hey, we might not, like you and I might not ever come to a place where we speak to a tetrarch or a governor or a king about his inappropriate relationship with his wife's, uh, with his brother's wife, with his sister-in-law. 
But hey, there's probably going to be times at work or at school or wherever you find yourself where somebody makes a racist joke that they think is really funny and it's your job to speak up and go, man, that's really not funny. There's going to be times where somebody disrespects his wife in front of you and it's your job to speak up and go, hey, man, that's really not funny. If that feels weird, it should feel weird. Like, if we're going to swim against the culture, we should feel a little weird, and the people around us should feel like we're a little bit weird. And I don't know what it is for you, but you should. I don't know what the cost of discipleship is for you, but if you don't feel it, you should ask yourself, why am I not feeling it? Because there's a cost to following Jesus. John... John the Baptist, this guy, he said from the beginning, all the disciples, they were coming to him and they were like, hey, John, it's weird. Like, remember when your line was really long to baptize people? Now it kind of seems like Jesus's line is really long. Like, it seems like you're kind of less popular than Jesus. What are we going to do about it? And, uh, and John's like, yeah, that's what should happen. That is what should happen. For the kingdom of God to advance in my life, my own kingdom has to decrease. Remember he said, he must increase, I must decrease. And in your life and in my life today, for the kingdom of God to advance, the kingdom of your own desire and your own success has to be something that you're okay with diminishing. Hey, it might just be that in following Jesus, you, found, you find yourself to be wildly successful. I hope that's true. I have friends that that's, that's true. I have friends like that. It might just be that in following Jesus, you find yourself giving up everything but gaining your soul. I have friends like that too. And as the kingdom of God moves forward, the people of God have to stand firm against the sin in our own lives and the sin in the lives around us, even at the risk of losing our heads or our jobs or our money or our friends. There is a reason that it's called sticking your neck out when you stand up for something that's hard, right? There's a reason for that. This is a picture. This is the picture that we have of John and Herod. One was killed, and on the surface, it looked like he had everything. He had everything. He had a kingdom. He had money. He had his brother's trophy wife. He had friends that would just tell him all the things that he wanted to hear. But what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? For the moment, it seems like the kingdom of the world is succeeding and rising. For the moment, it seems like Herod is successful and the kingdom of Jesus has just led to this terrible, senseless death. But as we sit here today, the kingdom of Herod is long past. Like nobody's talking about the kingdom of Herod, but today there is still a voice that cries out, in the wilderness, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, make way for him. In your own lives, in your own hearts, the voice cries out to us today from the scriptures. And the argument the scripture is going to make is that both of these guys died, but only one of them died with hope. Only one died with hope. And that's the third thing I want you to see. Not just the question of discipleship, not just the cost of discipleship, I want us to see the hope of discipleship. So we get to the other side of this Mark and Sandwich. And uh, chapter 7, verse 1, what we're going to see next week is that the disciples actually pick up where they left off. They just move on. And uh, in the Matthew account, 
it says after John's death, they buried his body and they went to speak with Jesus about it. They go and they talk to Jesus. And uh, if you read that account in Matthew, Jesus is strangely silent. You ever feel like Jesus is just strangely silent? Jesus hears the news of the death of John and he doesn't say, hey, let's go heal him and let's go fix all this. Let's go, guys. It's not what he says. He just goes, all right, let's move on to the next town. Why? Why does he do that? We know that he can. We've already seen him heal a little girl that was dead. We've already seen him cast out a thousand demons into pigs. We've already seen him stop a hurricane. Like, is there really any doubt at this point that, that bringing John back from the dead and putting his head on is too much for Jesus? I don't think so, but why not? Do you ever have a clear idea of what you need from God? And it's more than a clear idea. It's like you're crying out to him. You're pouring your heart out and you're seeking and you're asking and you're knocking and you're saying to him, God, this is what I need from you. And the more that you ask and the more that you seek and the more that you knock, the quieter it gets on the other end. You ever have those times? Because I have those times. I love to sing the song that we sang just a few minutes ago, the verse that says, um, praise to the Lord who in darkness of sin is abounding, who in the godless do prosper, all virtue confounding, sheds his light and chases the horrors of night. If you don't understand what all that means, it's basically praise to the Lord when nothing makes sense. When everything seems upside down and backward, praise to the Lord anyway. I sing that verse with tears in my eyes, sometimes because I believe it and sometimes because I'm asking God, will you help me believe this again? I really need you to help me to believe it. Remember the big idea two weeks ago, we had the text that Brandon preached on, uh, on Jairus and his daughter. Jairus comes to Jesus and says, my daughter is at the verge of death. Will you come heal her? And he's like, let's go. And on the way, the woman touches his garment, reaches out, and uh, she's healed. And Jesus is like, time out. Let's have some time with this lady. Let's talk to her about what it means to obey. Let's talk to her about what it means to follow me. Let's talk to her about what it means to be healed by me. And Jairus has got to be like, Jesus, can we just do this another time? I told you, she's about to die. And then they get word that she did pass away. And Jesus is like, hey, don't worry about it. Just believe. The whole big idea of that text was Jesus knows what he's doing. What makes sense for you and I is for Jesus to go back and fix everything and bring John back. And uh, it's not like, you know, Jesus is not in this place where he's like, oh, that guy, John, he doesn't matter. It's his own family member. And he says this amazing thing in Matthew 11. This is Jesus talking about John. He says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That's how he felt about him. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Translation, the kingdom of God is often upside down and backward and makes no sense to us in the moment. Jesus knows more than we know. I have to remind myself of that often. Jesus sees the big picture and we see in part. He knows that this current moment is not the end for John. And whatever the current moment that you're going through is not the end for you if 
you'll believe. John, he wasn't resurrected. You know, in the story, uh, Herod is like, this has got to be John resurrected. John wasn't resurrected as Herod supposed, but his life and death pointed to another, didn't it? John was killed, not as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but his life and his death pointed to another, didn't it? Herod thinks that John is resurrected to come back and make him pay for all of the wrongs that he's done. And the irony is, he's actually missing the fact that it's Jesus who has come as the sinless Son of God to be the one to pay for all the wrongs that he's done. And Herod just completely misses it. He completely misses it like many others have and will. They haven't asked the question of discipleship. They haven't counted the cost of discipleship. And therefore, they don't have the hope of discipleship. But not so with this guy, John. John is born as the forerunner to Christ's birth. And as he dies, he is the forerunner to Christ in his death. John's death points us to what we saw just a few verses earlier. Hey, the world might reject this message. They might actually reject you, but really they're rejecting me. Jesus hasn't asked John to go and do something that he's not also willing to do. At the end of this book, the climax is going to be the moment when another is put to death for his friends. Another is going to die. Another is going to be laid down in death for something unjust, just in the way that John was. But the difference is, he's not going to stay dead. He's going to rise again from the dead. And in his death, everything will change. Hey, if the resurrection is not true, this guy, John the Baptist, his whole life was a waste. If it's not true, then Paul actually says, your life and my life is meaningless. And we're to be pitied most of all people. But if the resurrection is true, only John's life and only John's story makes sense in the middle of this. Herod's life actually means nothing. One kept his life for a minute, right? And he kept all of his wealth, but he lost his soul. One lost his life, but inherited the whole earth as those who trust God to the end are promised. If the resurrection is true, his life was beautiful and it made sense. And listen to me, it gave way to the weight of glory. The last thing he felt was a blade on the back of his neck. And instantly, all he knew was the weight and the presence of the glory of the living God. And it's the only thing that he's ever going to know again. And listen to me, you and I, by faith, we're not far behind. The disciples, they laid, Jesus, they laid John's remains in a tomb, but he stayed dead. They remained in that tomb. Jesus' disciples, they did the same thing, but he didn't stay there. Jesus being resurrected from the dead by the power of God the Father was the promise that John the Baptist didn't have to stay dead, but could be raised to life with Christ. And it's the promise that you and I can too. This is why the resurrection in our faith is not an add-on. It's not something that we just tack on at the end. The resurrection is central to our faith. It's central to everything that we believe is good news for us. It means that everyone that dies in faith, they don't stay in the grave, but will be raised with Christ on the great day. It means John will be raised with Christ. It means all these other disciples who died or were martyred will be raised with Christ. 
It means all of the saints throughout time and history will be raised with Christ, my great-great-grandfather and grandmother, and you and I, by faith, will be raised up with Jesus no matter what this world throws at us. So today, as we close, I just want to consider this. Some will say, and many are saying, that Christians, we're standing on the wrong side of history. We're getting it wrong. The cost of discipleship is too much. It's totally meaningless. We might as well give up. Right? That's what they're saying. But I want to remind you, and I want to remind myself today that there's coming a day when all of history will bend to Jesus and his resurrection. And on that day, John will be standing next to him with head on his shoulders, and you and I are invited to stand with him too, right? Can we stand up together? This is a strange story, and I believe that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has given it to us for today for a reason. I think this is a continuation of where we're at in the book of Mark, and um, I just, I recognize the cost of discipleship. It feels like a lot some days. It really does. But I just want to remind you, and I just want to plead with you, the cost of not following Jesus is far greater. It's a far greater payment that we cannot pay.